Patrick here with some exciting news. We now have 10 local communities of engineering leaders hosting in-person meetups all over the world. Yes, you heard that right. There are 10 local communities in cities all over the world. These groups are led by engineering leaders just like you who wanted to create a place to connect, to share insights, and tackle critical challenges in the job. To get involved, go to elc.community. Sign up if you haven't already. If you have signed up, make sure you update your location and we'll get you plugged in. We're launching local events all the time. You can find them and get involved again at elc.community. I view my relationship to people that I work with or people that I manage right now is actually like a lifelong commitment. And I think because of that, I end up with these really strong connections, even beyond past opportunities. In a grander scheme, I think people should be always looking for opportunities at all times. There's a famous saying, says the best time to eat orders are they're being passed around. And the moment <laughs> that you're not ready to eat, now you're going to miss them. Hello and welcome to the Engineering Leadership Podcast brought to you by ELC, the engineering leadership community. I'm Jerry Lee, founder of ELC. And I'm Patrick Gallagher, and we're your hosts. Our show shares the most critical perspectives, habits, and examples of great software engineering leaders to help evolve leadership in the tech industry. Welcome to a verified career framework jam session. In this conversation, we discuss a ton of different approaches and frameworks to help you intentionally create and select new career opportunities with longtime community members, Ali Lippman and Ali Irturk. And in this conversation, we cover a pretty wide variety of approaches here. So we're going to talk a little bit about creating both internal and external career opportunities, how to assess, filter, and prioritize those new opportunities. We get into identifying your personal values. Plus, we just have a ton of fun sharing some of our favorite frameworks that we apply to engineering leadership. I told you, this is a framework jam session. Ali Littman is the interim head of engineering at Modern Health and formerly was director of engineering at Omada Health. Ali Irturk is VP of engineering at Commerce Hub and formerly was VP of engineering at Workboard. I've known both of them for several years through ELC and have always admired their intentionality behind their career decisions and their thoughtful approach to leadership. Career decisions, as you probably know, can be a murky and confusing world, and I've thoroughly enjoyed learning how they've navigated many of these big career decisions in their life. Enjoy our conversation with Ali Littman and Ali Irturk. Ali, Ali, welcome. Thanks so much for joining us. How are you both doing? Super. Great. Very excited to be here. We, this is going to be a fun conversation, mainly because uh, the three of us have, have known each other for, for a little bit of time now, just to give a little bit of the high level for how I know you both and how we're all sort of connected. Allie here, Allie Littman, has helped us shape our leader, some of our leadership programs, uh, namely the peer group program and some of the moderator experiences. So she's been involved in the community for a really long time and helping us make sure that the experience is great and meaningful. So Allie, great to have you here. And then Ollie, related to peer groups, him and I are both in a peer group together. And so we jam once a month on all of the, the big existential challenges that engineers leaders face. It's fun to bring this all together. But over the last few years, I think what's interesting and how this all sort of comes together is both of you in different ways have navigated both internal and external growth and different, different career opportunities. What I've admired is the thoughtfulness and the intentionality that both of you take in almost everything that you do as an engineering leader. And that every time we talk, usually I'm learning about a new principle, a new idea or a concept, or definitely walking away with new book recommendations. And so today, a lot of what we're going to be diving into is that massive archive that you both have with the ways that you've approached and navigated some of these different opportunities. And so this is a fun time for us to jam and talk about all of the, the whole world of navigating new career opportunities. 
you just set the bar so high. Everyone's like, oh, great. There's gonna be some good stories here. To bring us into this conversation, we're going to talk about, I think the way we structured this conversation a little bit is we're going to talk about some different specific moments or phases of someone's transition. And we'll jam together and share some of the different frameworks or approaches that we've taken in these contexts and the things that have made a big impact for us. So with that, like, let's start at the beginning. When both of you are thinking about creating a new opportunity, whether that's internally within your current company or externally in beginning to navigate a search, like, what's your approach? Like, just from, from the very beginning, how do you begin to even frame how to think about that? It's a really big thing to be considering taking that next step. And it's something that, you know, some people, you know, they're on this path and they're like, okay, I see what the next level is. Like, I'm just going to go after that. But really what's important when you are uh, considering changing things up is to take a step back and get a strong understanding of really what you want and why. And you can walk yourself through some questions that I often coach people on as they're going uh, through this thought exercise. What actually gives you energy and what drains you? You know, what makes you feel accomplished or aligns with your personal mission and values? Um, this is something that I went through as I was thinking about my next career move a few years ago. And I worked through that uh, with a life coach, actually, which was very helpful for me. But ultimately, once you understand some of those things, you can then figure out, you know, what's important to me in terms of, you know, my growth, in terms of the mission of my next opportunity or the next company, maybe look at the mission, culture, management, all of those various things, because those things are always going to be really important. You just need to make sure they align with what you need and what you want. I think getting a level set uh, of what those things are for yourself is very important. And then prioritizing from there. So for me, what that looked like a few years ago when I went through that experience was prioritizing managing managers. That was the experience that I really wanted to make sure I maximized. Um, and that's where I felt most energized, where I felt like I could make the most impact and it aligned with my personal mission for how I, I you know, grow people from various backgrounds. I love it. I, I was I was going to ask you, like, what was the answer for you? Like, what were you prioritizing? But understanding that it was the experience to be able to manage managers, and that was where you got your energy from, I think is, is a great understanding of, of how that applied. Ali, you looked like you were about to jump in. Yeah, yeah, I definitely I definitely agree. So um, in my mind, I, I love the number three, right? One, two, three. It got to be three. I have these three steps. The very first one is actually exactly what Ali mentioned, the, the why part. And that's the part where you're just exploring yourself, things you, you, you want to do. What's your mission, what's your career goals, what type of cultural values are important to you, what's your passion, what's your skill set, and what things you're good at. There's so much analysis to do there. That's mandatory work to do before even starting to do any kind of internal or external search. And then that kind of helps you understand like where you are today and where you wanted to get to. And you draw a line and they say, this is the path that I'm going to take. And Ali also mentioned certain exercises. You said, I think, what gives you energy? There's a lot of different activities you can do. One of them I think I learned during one of the SFELC podcasts, you might remember this, Patrick, there's this energy audit. Yeah, yeah. Brad Henriksen, that was great. Right? Whatever works for you, you can write reports to yourself like every day, or you can just analyze your calendar or just go for a walk and take a week off, kind of analyze and write things or reflect so much. Uh, you need to better understand yourself. And then the second step in my mind, once you draw this line from where you are today and where you want to be, you're making a lot of assumptions, a lot of assumptions about yourself, a lot of assumptions about that role, that thing that you're interested in. The second thing is that's very critical to do is to validate these assumptions. It has been very, very useful in my career. That comes in with these informational interviews that you create these like really good set of questions, whatever it is, like you want to get to the first level of management, managing managers, you want to get into product management, whatever it is, very thoughtful questions. Figure out these people who are actually role modeling and set up 
And you can't believe how many times you reach out to people and they will respond. They say, oh, I'll just spend half an hour with you. Just ask great questions, listen, and then just take that feedback and, and reflect on it. I've done that multiple times in my career. At some point early in my career, I actually considered after my PhD, a couple of years in engineering, I considered maybe I should just move into product management. Same model, right? Just figure out the why first and then say, well, here are the questions that I'm interested in getting asked and talk to 10, 20 people if you can. And I convince myself that it's actually a great position to have, but maybe not the best fit for me at that point in my career. And then third one, if you, if you figure out the why and if you validate your assumptions, you possibly already connect with so many of the people that you will be interested in working with. Final thing is just finding the best fit. And that's that's very important that you solidify your pitch now. Like, what do you want to do? Why you want to do it? Why you're the best person to do it? You kind of get into this, like, how do you evaluate to make a decision to move to the right place for you at that time? So three steps, figure out the why, validate the assumptions and find the perfect fit. One, one follow-up question around creating assumptions and then validating those assumptions. What has been like your favorite way to like define your assumptions around a specific opportunity? And then do you have like a favorite question that helps you validate those in, in some of those conversations? The way that I would start figuring that out is understanding if this was a career move into managing engineering organizations, it's a good idea to write down what you think that looks like. How much do you divide your time between, say, coding and managing people? And clearly, you don't want to ask this question directly in the information interview. You want to ask questions that lease their answer, especially questions like how much do you code? It's kind of sometimes hard to answer on the spot. So you want to come up with this question that will kind of get you the answer so you can actually make your decision to an extent a bit indirectly. But figure out what the job looks like. And that's the reason that the last step is so important. Even after you validate, you need to make sure that you're signing up with exactly what you thought it is, right? Because there is always finer details in, in, in everything. And then Ali, are there specific reflective activities that you found sort of in this, in this sort of same area to help yield or help you identify or clarify what you want next? I think one of my favorite ones is really going through your, your own personal values and you know, actually writing those down and understanding why they're your values and how those map to even your own personal goals. And then from there, seeing how those might map to a particular opportunity. It could be the company's mission. It could be the role itself. But how do you get what you need um, so you can like live your your best life in a way while also doing great work, right, that might actually align with the mission of the company? I think People talk about finding their their dream job and it's perfect and makes them happy. I, I don't know if anyone has ever found their exact perfect dream job, but you can really, you know, get close to that by looking very closely and doing that kind of self-assessment and just making sure, hey, like, does this actually get me where I want to go in life if I spend a good chunk of my day doing this kind of work? And I think that's the best way you can find a, a nice opportunity for yourself. And some of the, the last few different opportunities that you're evaluating, I guess, what are the personal values that were most important for you in filtering that decision? I think one thing that I value very highly is, I like I'll say two things actually, interpersonal connection and growth. And the growth can be for myself or for others. For me, finding opportunities where I can really mentor others um, is, is highly important in, in terms of what I want to be doing in my day to day. That's why um, you know I prioritize roles where I can educate more junior leaders, for example, to teach them the craft of management. And that really makes me feel great. Or maybe there's a company that really promotes hiring uh, diverse employees. And in that case, that also feels really great because that aligns with my own personal mission as well and my own personal values to support others from underrepresented groups. So that's one thing that I definitely uh, prioritize in my own personal job search, knowing that those are some things that I value. 
That's great. Thank you. I, I think like it's always helpful because I find sometimes when folks talk about their personal values, it's really helpful to hear like what's important to other people because then it allows people to mirror and clarify for themselves. I wanted to, so I know we want to talk about validating a decision, but before getting to that part, um, one thing I want to point out, um, Ali, one of the things that's come up in some of our different conversations with folks and one of the challenges that people face is like when they're beginning to become interested in pursuing different opportunities, usually there's like this question of, well, I've never had to look for a job before or I've never had to entertain that conversation. And I think every time walking away, people are always blown away by like the level of thought or like the infrastructure you have in place to just have really great conversations with tons of different people, regardless if you're looking for an opportunity or not. So I was wondering if you could just give a couple of the practices that you do to just build great relationships with people over interesting stuff. Um, Because every time we've talked about that, it usually is like exploding people's minds as we're talking. This is one of these areas, the intention is not not, not enough, right? You need to have a process in place. So in a grander scheme, I think people should be always looking for opportunities at all times times internally externally and that's where the networking piece comes in mainly because unless you think about this all the time and continue to have the conversations you really honestly don't know till that moment comes but most of the time this moment shows about an over and you're not ready because you have not no evaluations done there's a famous saying says the best time to eat orders are they're being passed around and the moment <laughs> that you're not ready to eat now you're going to miss them i'm reaching out to people having these coffee chats my mba network berkeley is very helpful kind of staying in touch with your network taking time, like not eating lunch alone or finding opportunities for dinners. And outside of your network, maybe having good connections with investors who invest in your companies or recruitment agencies. There are so many great ones that are um, working with SFERC very closely, introducing yourself to them. You just need to stay constantly in the loop with people. The second part, I think, getting out of your comfort zone, going out there and, and reaching out. So just choosing courage over comfort. And not mm-hmm. really just saying that, well, I'm not ready. If you keep doing that, eventually your thinking changes, the environment changes and opportunities arise. So instead of just like act of now you have to start searching for, it's just something that always happens. Ali, do you have any any thoughts around, around this? Yeah. Well, first of all, I think I can learn a lot from Ali about how to best network. I do think, uh, you know, staying as engaged as you can in a variety of communities, which I think is, you know, quite difficult right now, considering a lot of us are remote. Uh, but, you know, it means that we still should make that time to lean in. I view my relationship to people that I work with or people that I manage right now is actually like a lifelong commitment in a way. I often find that those relationships that you build with people that you've worked with very closely and, you know, if you're already supporting one another, um, even after you move on, you know, that ideally should continue um, if you have that kind of relationship with that person. And so that's as like a leader, that's something that I often employ. And I think because of that, I end up with these really strong connections, even, you know, beyond past opportunities. Um, And considering I work in, um, you know, a very particular industry, I'm very focused in healthcare tech, that often pays dividends when I need to go reach out. And, you know, maybe it's like help with a particular vendor, even, um, or something like that. Basically, a similar situation where opportunities end up presenting themselves through past networks that maybe I even help support people often, you know, want to give back to one another. And so I think that's a a great, a great path. I love that mindset of viewing like your relationships and your commitments as as lifelong and then the impact that has. Okay. So we talked about networking. What's your favorite message to send to somebody in like a cold outreach? Like just say, maybe this is, you're not looking for an opportunity, but you just want to talk to them about their cool startup or, or like their, their fund or something like that. Like what's your, what's your message to do that tactically? There's a really nice book called Two Hour Job Search, which not only helps with how to message these things, but also how to create this process about reaching out to people and getting the feedback and understand their intentions. You clearly want to have, if you have an affiliation with the person, you want to just mention that one. If you graduate from the same school, it's a good idea to bring that up, especially they will value that. 
and understanding where they're coming from, it's a lot more valuable to reach out to a person if they if you read their article, if you read their book, or if you looked at their code. It's a lot more encouraging for someone to respond. So number one rule, I would say, do your research. Just don't send something out. And once you do your research, your message looks pretty custom tailored for that purpose. And that's what makes the person want to respond. But there's also a bunch of activities you can go to. You can go to your alumni networks gathering together, which is then, you know, it's a bit easier to get to know the people because everybody's there for networking. But you need to have a really good reason if you're going to just send someone a message and ask them to pay attention to you. I love it. The, the framework there is really interesting. Mention the connections, do the research, and mention the things that you value or appreciate. This is day one from Drew Dudley. That book is, is phenomenal in terms of setting the perfect framework to go through. I'm going to write down all these book recommendations you've been dropping during the yep. interview. I can I can plus one Drew Dudley. This is day one. I think you and I talked about that one, you Ali. Um, yeah, it, uh, in my period of taking a sabbatical, I read This is Day One and probably spent about a week going through the book identifying my personal values. And the best part about it, Ali, is that it helps you create operationalized questions. So you can ask yourself these questions throughout the day that then prime you to make decisions that are more in line with your personal values. One of mine was courage, which I didn't think about beforehand, but I realized that I was more in line with who I wanted to be as a person when I chose to act despite fear, or I defined it as like fear or emotional risk. Because I found like anytime I acted despite any of those things, I felt more in line with the type of person I wanted to be. Um, and so it's cool. It's like if you start asking yourself these questions of like, what have I done today that scares me? Then all of a sudden you're on the phone with somebody and they're saying some nonsense and you could you know, have a critical conversation with them. And then you choose to do it because you've been talking to yourself about that all day. So it's just like, it's amazing. Drew Dudley's book, can't, can't recommend it enough. So speaking of frameworks, uh, I want to talk a little bit about making the decision. So Ali, you mentioned personal values as like a, a first filter. I was wondering if there were any other ways that you go through filtering or assessing a decision. And then I guess the other part of that is, is have those changed at different points of your career, depending on the opportunity that you're looking at? Yeah, I think everyone's filters are going to be a little personal, but there's some that you might be prioritizing over others. I do think there's some that are static almost everywhere, uh, which could be, you know, quality of life, culture, you know, opportunities, like those sorts of things. But I think the very first one, which might be hard to filter on like early on in the in the process, but, you know, making sure you've got the right manager, ideally, with an opportunity, you want to pick your manager, um, and that actually can have the biggest impact on whether or not you actually get what you thought you were getting when you were doing this assessment. I think another big one that was a, a good initial filter for me when I was thinking about what exactly do I want was understanding my own personal risk tolerance. And so that can show up in a, in a few different ways. You know, it could mean like looking at the phase of the company and understanding, you know, how risky would it be to join? It could mean, um, you know, is this going to be a tumultuous environment or a stable environment? You know, what feels better right now? Or maybe is this opportunity going to stretch me in a brand new way? Or do I feel like my skills are perfectly aligned and I'm going to knock it out of the park? Um, and understanding kind of where you are on some of those various things will also be good because those might change also over time. Like coming out of COVID for me personally, that's around the time that I was looking for a new opportunity. Um, you know, I definitely wanted something that um, was going to give me the right next opportunities, but I still felt like, you know, had some level of stability and I could knock it out of the park knowing that I, you know, mostly work at, at you know, in the startup space. So it was definitely looking, um, looking for that, but that might not be the same thing I want for my next job. So being really, really uh, honest with yourself about where you're at um, with your risk tolerance is great. And I think uh, one of the things I recommend for people to do, and I, I definitely do this as well, to identify what are those filters are create a decision grid. So literally, a, you know, a spreadsheet. And as you're going through various opportunities, start to figure out like, what are the things that you might tag each one with? So maybe, you know, some straightforward ones could be, 
you know, expected compensation, if that's important to you, probably a little bit important to everybody could be, you know, what level, you know, does it give me the level that I want? Does it give me the quality of life? You know, do they have flexible vacation or is it two weeks? Like what are the things that matter to you and start making those assessments? And actually, as you make and, and start tagging these opportunities, start making these various filters, you'll understand which ones are actually giving you data that's causing you to prioritize your desire for one opportunity over another. So I often find the exercise itself allows you to learn more about what you actually care about. And then you end up with a few different opportunities that you might be aiming for and it can help you start to actually apply those filters to other searches you might be doing. I think it's really cool that it's it's almost less about the data or the tag itself, but rather about the exercise of doing it helps you actually discover what you want. And I think that's that's really cool. So it's like the process of doing it is what matters less about the output. Yeah, absolutely. I, and I think that's been the experience for me and for others when I've suggested that they do that. They, they learn really what matters because there's so many different things that you could be assessing on. When you've gone through this decision grid, were there any things that surprised you in going through it? Like for me, when we were talking about Drew Dudley, like courage as a personal value was totally off my radar. That one definitely surprised me. Were there any surprises for you? Yeah, I had one that was a little surprising to me related to my assessment of what quality of life meant relative to work. Time zone selection. Uh, I didn't realize that which time zone a company was headquartered in actually had a big impact on whether or not I wanted to work there. And so as I was thinking through, do I care that this company is in Atlanta, even if I can work remotely from California, let's say, the answer as I was going through the assessment on my grid, um, you know, I realized I actually kind of cared because I'm a morning person. And so I wanted to uh, have mornings to myself to catch up and get an edge on work and do the things I needed to do for myself. So I felt like working for a West Coast company in this uh, most recent job search was actually something I prioritized a lot more. And I did not realize that until I really started to compare companies and think about like, do, do I care about this or not? And the answer turned out to be yes. I think that's so true that because I've I've worked both West Coast, East Coast and and Jerry, Jerry and I are primarily the ones talking to each other. And he's been mostly West Coast. And so I've had the experience of being in the same time zone with him and working together on the West Coast. And, you know, that's great. Like then we're kind of interfacing pretty early, but I am totally like you. I'm a morning person. And so having like that eight to 11 a.m. time frame as just like me time like pushing forward whatever I want to push forward has been great. So actually the East Coast has been more like me living on in Washington, D.C. has been more well suited to that relationship because then I'm pushing forward a bunch of stuff before Jerry even wakes up, um, even though he's a, he's a ridiculously early riser. And so I think that time, that is such an interesting surprise to realize that that has such an important weight in terms of the style and li the lifestyle of how you want to work. Patrick here with some exciting news. We now have 10 local communities of engineering leaders hosting in-person meetups all over the world. Yes, you heard that right. There are 10 local communities in cities all over the world. These groups are led by engineering leaders just like you who wanted to create a place to connect, to share insights, and tackle critical challenges in the job. To get involved, go to elc.community. Sign up if you haven't already. If you have signed up, make sure you update your location and we'll get you plugged in. We're launching local events all the time. You can find them and get involved again at elc.community. Ali, what about what about you? Any surprising things from your assessments or filters? Or I guess what's how do you how do you filter your decisions? Definitely like how Ali mentioned, pretty much an Excel sheet. These row items are things that you care about. And there are lists you can start. There's some of them are kind of common sense, some of them are very specific to an individual. And then look at where you are, where you want to, what your options are. What I like to do every time I had a significant change, I always have this same process done with my significant other. And since she knows me so well, she also kind of ranks the things. I give a certain score. 
and, and she gives a certain score. So that's kind of starts a separate discussion because sometimes it's hard to be extremely honest with yourself because something may be so exciting, some other attribute you kind of just underestimate another one. So that seems to keep me honest. And I, again, in this case, who you know matters a lot. The people who have done this job or similar jobs, maybe sometimes in the same company, can actually help with decision making. You can get that information provided. I love the idea of coming up with certain decisions and like sleeping on it. Another thing that I felt like this is the biggest marker for me to see if this is the right decision or not, how energized I feel the moment that I start imagining myself being there. Um, it just generally never fails me. And that's kind of like the litmus test. If As long as you keep maximizing that energy, excitement, and comparing two things, you can tell which one is giving you more energy. And, and you also mentioned okay, it does this change over time. I feel like I know about myself a lot more now than I knew say like 10 years ago. And I knew like 10 years before, I just like significantly changed. My priorities have changed. My, how I look at life has changed. You know, my values have evolved. And very frequently this needs to be kind of reevaluated and it's just part of the process. There's really no work around it. It's not like you can just say, this is it. This is who I am. That's the adaptable one that survives the, the longest. Another, another, maybe the last thing I can say about this is if this does not feel right, to you, it's possibly not right for you, right? It's mm. just, if it doesn't feel right, then possibly it's not. So I think just having some gut check will definitely bring one to a closure. That's great. Ali, what, you mentioned you had some thoughts about how the, the decision-making filter or your priorities changed over time. What are your thoughts there? Yeah, I couldn't agree more with Ali's assessment. You know, you learn about yourself throughout the process. So totally changes. Um, me, especially early in my career, I had a very loose idea of what I wanted to do. And I felt like I was just looking for the right job, but I didn't really know what that was. And so I felt like almost like the job kind of picked me, which I think is, you know, best case scenario for recruiting. But I was looking for the right job and I ended up with that, the right one for the time, learned a lot. Would I want to do that job forever? No. And then I felt like the next phase for me was more about, you know, making the next big tweak where I had to get my foot in the door in another direction. And for me personally, that was breaking out of like a very niche industry into a different a different industry. Um, so a different section of healthcare tech. So for me, I was like, that's what I care about the most. It was a little bit less about the role at that moment. It was more about getting my foot in the door so I could um, get access to the other opportunities that maybe I wanted. But as I've, I've grown from there, I have higher and higher knowledge and standards of what I, I need in my role. So now I can be significantly more thoughtful and, you know, it's not about like, oh, I'm going to take the first offer because that's giving me that opportunity. I can really be so much more thoughtful and selective with what I want, which I think comes with both learning about yourself and also experience in your role. And just to add to that, because I think it's, it's, it's really important what you mentioned. And this is, it must be a debated topic, but I generally encourage people, especially earlier in their career, to experiment a lot more. So they actually kind of evolve, develop this understanding about yourself and about the industry and whatever it is. And you can actually go out of your wherever you've been trained, right, educated for, you can even get out of that just to explore, see if you will like it or not. Because the cost of doing that later in your career is a lot higher. Not impossible. Anyone can do anything anytime, but kind of a bit easier in the very beginning. Yeah, I think in response to what both of you shared, like in kind of connecting the dots from a couple of things that we've talked about. So we've talked about like making some assumptions about about the role. We've talked about kind of filtering and Ali, when you're talking about experimenting and using that as a, as a frame of reference, there's been one framework that I found particularly helpful in terms of validating like your assumptions around a role or giving some direction to the types of experiments that you take on for a role. And so it's, it's kind of a mashup between two frameworks. Uh, so, you know, I've got a lot of internal ego and pride uh, at around this concept, but it's it's a mixture between like Jim Collins's hedgehog concept and then Malcolm Gladwell's outliers. So the hedgehog concept for folks 
unfamiliar with that is like the intersection of three things. What are you passionate about? What could you be the best in the world at? And then what drives your economic engine? And the idea is that like this sort of sweet spot where you're both feel purposeful and you're also like economically successful is at the intersection of like your love and your ability and then like something that is like economically valuable. We'll set that aside really quickly. And then the other side, like Malcolm Gladwell's outliers, the kind of TLDR of this is like there are certain things that like certain things that allowed people to have outlier performance and sometimes it's related to timing and sometimes it's related to unique experiences earlier than others. So like one of the examples was Bill Gates getting access to a coding lab at Berkeley uh, when he was like 16 years old or something like that, which then gave him the early experience to then build all these other amazing things far earlier before anybody else was interested in that particular stuff. So with the hedgehog concept, when you're thinking about what are you passionate about, that's an easy list. You can talk about all the things that you love, like I love surfing, or I love knitting or hiking or, or whatever. And then in addition to like the things you love about your job. And then when you think about like, what could you be the best in the world at? The truth is like, especially if you are younger in your career, you are probably not the best in the world at a whole lot, if not anything. So when I was answering this, like there's nothing I'm the best in the world at. But how I wanted to reframe this question, which I thought was really important was what could you be the best in the world at if you chose to invest in growing and training and developing your skill set in that area? And then pairing that with outliers, like what's something maybe that you've had more experience with than other people that's interesting or unique, that if you continue to invest in that, it'll help you become the best in the world at or, or reasonably like top five or 1% or whatever. And then you answer all the other questions of like, what are the different like permutations of what people would pay you for? Like what's a valuable skill set that you can cultivate? So the intersection of that, then like you start to experiment being like, okay, I love this. This is economically valuable. And if I invest in this, I'm pretty good at it. And you can start to check off those experiments. So that's my mashup concept it served me uh, directionally. It's helped me cross off a lot of things on my list, but also open up opportunities um, and different things. I love it. I love how we merge them. So when it comes to passion, the way that I approach that one is a very hard one, right? How do you figure out what your passion is? Like Stephen Cutler talks a lot about this. So the best model that I found so far is actually to find your passion is just searching for the flow. How do you achieve the flow the most, right? What's your way to go? Generally, I feel like that's very well correlated with the, um, with the passion part. And I also like love what you said, like uh, what you're good at. That's also very hard to do. I think one way you can do actually reach out to other people and ask them to tell you what they think you're good at. But also, like you said, triangulating these sort of interesting skills. For me, I come from the military and I have a lot of leadership experience. And then I'm very well trained in engineering. So it's a unique skill to have, like have both leadership and technical merge together. So that's actually how I explain people why I love engineering leadership roles. And what would others pay you for is actually a phenomenal, very important point as well. I completely agree. I love it. That reminds me of the triple threat framework where it's like you pick three skills and if you can become really good at that, then like that also creates success. So like you were talking about like the double threat was leadership and, and engineering. Then the triple threat being like, what's that third skill and the combination of those threes makes you super professionally skillful. Ali, we've been jamming. What, what's what's come up for you? Has there been another another framework or concept or reflective exercise that you found valuable? One of the main things this is just reminding me of is, you know, kind of that that tension as you're going through this process of like, what do you want to learn? And what are you already good at? And identifying what you want to learn, um, like how that opportunity is going to really get you there. Because that's at the end of the day, a lot of the reasons why and I, I personally pick various opportunities, but you almost need what you're good at to kind of stabilize the ability for you to actually have that opportunity. Those two things, I think, are actually really important when thinking about like, how is this the best fit for me right now for exactly what I want? Where is my gap and where is my strength? And then how do I get that out of this opportunity? 
So that came up for me in relation to something you're just talking through. I love it. Okay, we're reaching a transition point in our conversation. And so I'm, I'm counting the list of topics I have on our list. There are 12 discrete topics we can get into. And I think we have probably about 10 minutes left. What I, I'm inviting you both into is that maybe we, we have a part two in terms of like the other phases of transitions. But I wanted to open up a random grab bag of engineering leadership frameworks and approaches because like it's been so fun jamming with you both and hearing the things that have made the biggest impact on you when it comes to assessment, filtering, cultivating opportunities. So this, this next question is just going to be an open explosion of what are your other favorite frameworks or approaches to engineering leadership. So when you're thinking about like principles that you've applied or frameworks that have helped change how you approach leadership, this is just an invitation. What are your favorites? Let us know. The one thing that had a significant impact on me in terms of leadership is the moment that I realized that it's just not one thing. So this is a favorite question. They ask you, what's your leadership style? Right? It's a lot of interviews. We talk about that. A lot of people who are interested in this should ask that question. There is no one style. There's this, it's almost like this hats. You get to wear them depending on the situation. And it's your, your inventory, what matters, what kind of you know, matters for your leadership style. So you have this a coaching hat that you need to be really observant. And you put the hat on when the time is right. And you need to be democratic. You're going to put that hat on. And there's this pace setting. Like you realize the team needs that when you put the hat on. There are, I think, enough studies that tell us what type of leadership works for, say, engineering organizations, most efficient, effective ones. And if you were to just wear a pace setting hat all the time, you possibly burn your own team up. But kind of just realizing that's actually not one thing and many things, and the art is figuring out which one to use when. It's not almost like whenever you're going, just need to be careful which uh, hat you're wearing. So that was very enlightening for me. So I deliberately think that way when I'm approaching leadership problems. That's both illuminating and I think relieving for a lot of folks because that also kind of reinforces the implication that leadership is not a, a single style or rather like inherited, but rather it's a, a series of different skills or capabilities that you can you can learn and acquire through practice. And then the ability to be malleable and dynamic with being able to try on some of those different roles is is so important. And I can actually give you even a framework. I tend to try to, and it's, it's hard to always have this one, but try to enter a meeting first by centering and then entering. And when you're like centering right before the meeting, just you know, a couple of questions you can ask yourself. You could ask yourself like, what does this meeting require from me, from my leadership? Or like, what do people I'm, I'm gonna meet with require from me? So asking these type of questions will require to kind of understand like, what's needed and you can use the right style for the um, right moment. So that's like how you can put it in application. It's hard, of course, we surf, you know, Zoom surfing throughout the day from one to another, but like that's a very valuable minute to spend. I love that. I think a lot of what's coming up for me from everything you're sharing, Ali, is that uh, leadership is more of an art than anything. Um, and I think that is why there are so many leadership resources that no matter how great a leader you are, how many years of experience you have, it's always useful to cycle through those to get fresh inspiration for a new frame of looking at a problem um, or looking at how you influence or how you support someone. That's a great tactic that you just mentioned. I can go bring that back. I'm inspired. I'm going to go try that, you know, and like that's a new way of thinking. But, you know, maybe I'll get tired of doing that and I need something fresh to you know find a new way to make my teams feel supported, have us reach our objective, have people feel inspired, all those different things. There's no one tactic. And I think that is kind of the beauty of leadership and also why there's a, a large industry out there of, of management books. 
<laughs> Absolutely. I'm definitely taking that question and putting it in the back pocket as a primer for for different meetings. And even if I think like even like events or experiences, like what's required from me or, or who do I want to be in this particular event? Um, I love it. Ali, what about you? Uh, what are your favorite or if you have to pick, you know, a, a framework around engineering leadership that's made a big impact on you? I'm going to go with the one that just feels like it's at the core of everything I do, which is vulnerable leadership. For me, uh, showing up as a human being in all of my interactions with people is something very core to how I lead. And so for me, uh, you know, a lot of my job is getting buy-in, building trust, building empathy and understanding um, and community. Like all of those things require me to be approachable, both, you know, in terms of, you know, communication, but also, you know, emotionally. So setting that stage for people so I can be a better leader and then they can meet me where I'm at, right? Because we're trying to build a team culture um, where they feel like, you know, they can be themselves and everyone can be comfortable um, and like feel comfortable raising concerns and creating space for that. That's ultimately like what I want in my communities. I want people to be supporting one another. And if you don't have a culture of sharing your emotions or sharing your feelings or thoughts, you're not going to get any of those inputs that you need. And I, I strongly believe that, uh, you know, emotions have a place in the workplace and that those really drive flagging what direction you might need to go, right? If something like, oh gosh, there's this big technical problem, I'm really stressed out about it. That probably means you should do something about it. There's something behind that emotion. Um, and so being able to express that and having a space for that is important. And as a leader, I feel like I need to provide that space for people. And so I make a point of doing things like talking about going to therapy. That's something that I want people to feel comfortable sharing in the event that they need space for that at work um, or you know, take time off from work. So yeah, vulnerable leadership for me is really at the core of a lot of what I do. And it's a strategy that works really well for me. Um, so strongly recommend it to, to anyone else. I, I really, I really appreciate that because there was one quote from our, our summit back in 2019 from Max Levkin, and he was talking about how the biggest problems are almost always never code and always people. What you shared there, like what came up for me was when you're thinking about like, it's about people, it's not only that, but it's about being comfortable with the emotions around people and the ability to understand the emotions that people are experiencing and to be comfortable discussing them and being in conversation, being like emotionally fluent. And so I think that's a really great priority and perspective to have. Yeah, it has been always important, but especially now if you're working remotely, COVID times, there's no other way. Absolutely. You need special attention to it. This has been so much fun hanging out with you both. I could jam about leadership frameworks uh, forever. Um, <laughs> we we do have a couple rapid fire questions to, to wrap this all up. To kick this off, Oh gosh, this is also another one of those things that could immediately, you know, this could be a, a Cambrian explosion of things for people to look up. But what are you reading or listening to right now? I, I finally read Staff Engineer, um, so Will Larson's book. Uh, so got that uh, under my belt. Um, and then I'm also at Ollie's recommendation, just finished up Influence. So that's a psychology of influence book. So thanks for that. And then I'm also listening to a cybersecurity leadership podcast, uh, which is important for me since I've taken over security at my organization. So that one's called Defense in Depth. That's been pretty cool. Great recommendations. Ali, what's up? A guide to um, good life, William Irvine about Stoic philosophy. It's awesome. And I try to read just two books at a time and I'm going really deep on Ellen Watkins' books for the leadership, coherence, really good books. Highly recommend it to everyone. Great. I knew you I knew you both would have some great recommendations for people to, to, to pull. We talked about engineering leadership frameworks. We're going to take a different tact here. What tool or methodology has had a big impact on you? I will immediately go. One I'm most passionate about, 20 minutes, power naps, change my life. If you especially just like merge that with cappuccino, what they call like nappuccino, phenomenal. So my day starts like, hi, 
and then I have to plateau, and then like I have another one. I have another one that many others who doesn't do the Nappatuna have. <laughs> so. I don't think there are enough people advocating for power naps, and so uh, this is a po- this is definitely a podcast first um, and in a non traditional tool or methodology. So thank you for for helping make history here. You gotta do it. And giving me permission to go take a nap. Like, this is great. I used to do it in like the engineering floor right in the middle. <laughs> Allie, what about you? Okay, I was going to share something very different. But now I want to talk about something very personal to me that has completely evolved how I organize my time for myself, both work and non-work related things. So I every morning I make a list of what I want to do for the day. But it's not like this exhaustive list of all the things I have to do. It's only the list of things that would bring me peace if I were to do them and also things that I'd be proud of. And that allows me to really focus on what's most important for me and make a balanced to-do list that I can actually get through in one day. And the satisfaction for doing things that purely bring peace and, and a sense of pride. Oh my gosh, that's changed my morning routine. Thank you, Valley. That's wonderful. All right. Next rapid fire question. What's been one of the most meaningful in-person experiences with your team, company, or otherwise? doesn't have to be the most, but in kind of the ballpark of one of the most meaningful in-person experiences that you've had. Uh, so my team just did uh, an all-tech-wide off-site in Santa Cruz. And the thing that brought me the most joy and the most meaning was an event that I didn't even want to go to originally, but I cannot recommend more for your team or as part of an interview process. We had to, we did a competition where we had to build boats out of cardboard. Um, I don't know if you've ever done that. We had a limited amount of time to build a boat out of cardboard and then we had to race it in a pool. I was the tribute to be in the boat uh, for my team. But oh my gosh, it was so meaningful because, uh, you know, with a random group of people, I got to figure out like in person, can we work together as a team? Can we collaborate? Can we support each other in ambiguity? Do I trust you to experiment? Uh, It was an amazing experience. And oh my gosh, I would totally rehire everyone on my team, um, even though my boat sank. (laughs) (laughs) You were the first one or the last one? (laughs) Did you make it all the way then? So we, we made it further than other boats, but I was definitely swimming and dragging the boat for a portion of the pool. Yeah. We have done a very similar uh, team building activity there. They are the best. I'm very similar. So I'm very interested in these experiences where I get a chance to personally connect with others. Weddings, going to visit them when they have kids. Recently, I got a chance to catch up and meet, have a dinner with one of my engineers that I worked together for a long time ago. Person by then was a mechanical engineer is now doing data science 10 years later. That type of moments are the, the most meaningful experiences for me. That's great. Ali, I used to be a lifeguard for nine years of my life. And you better believe I've administered that event before. And so that is a, a ton, I can tell you a ton of fun every time I've seen it. It's a total blast. All right. What is a trend that you're seeing or following that's interesting or hasn't hit the mainstream yet? So I'm a big AI nerd and I, I follow OpenAI pretty closely. Uh, so the one that's, I don't think it's, it's caught up yet, but uh, the one that I'm most excited is something called visual generative models. And they release something called DALI2. And it's like GPT-3 allows you to create text out of text, allows you to create uh, images out of text. So you can actually say some kind of text and and art comes out. And I think it's going to disrupt the whole visual art space that I'm very excited and interested in. So that's that's what I'm like to read and understand more. I love it. I'm so excited for that too, as somebody who's not necessarily the the most skilled at art, the ability to, to come up with something like... Ollie, Ali, Patrick in a cartoon form riding dinosaurs with a volcano right. in the background and an amazing piece of art comes up from that. That's a dream. Connect that to NFT and you're rich. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be surprised next week when those NFTs drop. So, um, <laughs> Ali, what about you? 
Yeah, I think my, my example is very much just a recent problem that I had to deal with that got me pretty interested. There's some new new companies out there that allow for um, cloud development environments to really minimize onboarding time and, you know, decouple computing power from the machine. So um, I think a lot of larger companies have developed these for themselves, um, but a lot of startups really, really struggle with this. It helps solve some of those scalability issues. So that's been something that I think has been pretty cool um, and talk with some of those, those companies. It's been interesting. That's a great one. Okay, let's wrap this all up. Final question. Is there a quote or mantra that you live by or a quote that's been really resonating with you right now? So my favorite one of all time, and I say it often, is do one thing every day that scares you. I think that came up earlier in the podcast at some point. I think that was Eleanor Roosevelt, but I know it from Baz Luhrmann's Everyone's Free to Wear Sunscreen song. And it is very, <laughs> very helpful to just realize what you're holding yourself back from and just decide to go for it instead. Fantastic. So mine is not just for now, it's just in general. Until you make unconscious conscious, it will direct your life and you'll call it fate. And it's a call for action to take control and analyze. And there we have it. Two phenomenal quotes to close and to send people into really important existential evaluations of their life, <laughs> but also to compel people to do things that scare you and to shirk fate and take ownership and create a more intentional, I guess to summarize the topic, to create a more intentional career. So Ali, Ali, thank you both so much for an incredible and fun conversation. Thank you both. Thank you. Thanks, Patrick.